Psalm 103. And a wonderful, wonderful psalm. A psalm that thanks God for his mercies. And uh, that's what we're going to think about this evening. Psalm 103. And we're going to begin our reading in verse 6. Psalm 103 and verse 6. We read, The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments." To do them, and we trust the Lord will add His blessing to the reading of His precious Word. Well, this is a psalm dealing with the mercies of God, and our God is a merciful God, and we know that because the Bible says so. The psalm says that He is a merciful God. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to them that fear Him, and His righteousness unto children's children. Now, the concept of mercy is a very broad one. It takes in the ideas of compassion, of pity, of forbearance, of long-suffering, but also of grace and of goodness. Mercy really is the flip side of grace. Mercy is the theme of the Old Testament, whereas grace is the theme of the New Testament. Well, in Psalm 103, God's mercies are expressed by his benefits, and indeed is one of his benefits. Bless the Lord, we read in verse 2, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You know, God is not obliged to be merciful. We ought to remember that. God is not obligated to us to show mercy toward us. In the book of Romans, in chapter 9, Paul quotes God's word to Moses. I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. There's no onus upon God to be merciful. He's free to refuse mercy if he so indeed should choose. And yet there's not a man, not a woman, not a child upon the face of the planet tonight who is not in some way tasted of the mercy of God. 
You know, in Psalm chapter 103, we find that God's mercy is revealed in two aspects, or two levels, if you like. There's a lesser and a higher degree of revelation here. Notice in verse 7 of this psalm, He made known His ways unto Moses, His acts unto the children of Israel. Notice the children of Israel knew God by means of His acts, by His actions, by certain things that He did. Whereas Moses knew the Lord by his ways. And really, when you think about it, there's a difference. Moses actually had a higher understanding or a higher degree of knowledge of the mercies of God than many of the people within the nation of Israel. In other words, some people acknowledge God's mercy day by day in what he does, whereas others acknowledge God's mercy not so much by what he does, but because of who he is, because of what he is. And the latter is a more advanced knowledge of God. So I want you to think tonight and see that, first of all, God's mercy is revealed by his actions. The ancient Israelites knew God by this means. They knew God by his power. They had witnessed his mercy many times over. You know, when you think about the night of the Passover, uh, when the uh, angel came through the camp and he passed over those homes that were marked by the blood and spared the firstborn in the Israelite homes. That was an act of God's mercy. You think how he led them to the Red Sea and there when they felt like they were hemmed in, he opened the sea for them and allowed them to cross on dry land. That was God's mercy. When they got to the other side, well, daily God provided manna from heaven for them. That was his mercy. And, of course, their shoes did not wear out in 40 years of wilderness wanderings. That was God's mercy unto them. In the conquering of their enemies, think about that. You know, they were largely defenseless out there in the wilderness. They weren't certainly a nation that would have been capable of taking on skilled warriors. And yet, with all, God gave them victory and protected them along the way. And so in, in that respect, we see God's actions revealing his mercy to the nation of Israel of old. And some of the acts by which God expresses his mercy, not just to ancient Israelites, but to all men, are revealed right here in this psalm. In verse 3, we're reminded that God heals us of all our diseases, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Now, this is as true for the unbeliever as it is for the believer. You know, it's not that the believer has a monopoly on healing, but here we know that God has created all mankind with the ability in the body to heal itself. When a man cuts his finger, within a few minutes or two, the blood is clotted and the skin begins to knit again and to uh, replace itself. A few weeks ago, uh, I was uh, working in the kitchen uh, on lunch uh, and I was cooking something. And I had a little hot plate in the oven. I lifted a tile and lifted that hot plate out. And then I realized it was in my right hand and I needed to scrape the food off onto my plate. Without thinking, I transferred it into this hand without any tile on it. And I immediately regretted my mistake. And of course, in a matter of time, I had two very nice blisters there on my fingers. But you know what? It's healed. 
And that's the nature of your body, isn't it? God has created the body with the ability to heal itself. It would be lovely if our cars worked that way, wouldn't it? Or our computers worked that way. You know, if you could have an accident and say to the other person, don't worry, in another two weeks this will be right as rain. Uh, you know, unfortunately our cars don't work like that. There's nothing that man really makes that works that way. But God made the body that way. You know, when a man contracts a virus, uh, he usually recovers from that virus, the body uh, builds up antibodies and uh, is enabled to overcome that threat to our health, even with the coronavirus. You know, we're very thankful for the help of the medics and medication and those who have dedicated themselves to helping those who are most vulnerable. But the vast majority of people who catch coronavirus actually survive it all by themselves without the need of medical attention as such. And that's because your body has been created in such a way that God allows it to attack that virus and enables you to overcome it so that we say bless the Lord O my soul and forget not all his benefits you know when we overheat we sweat in order to cool down and uh, when the body is cold we shiver uh, to keep warm isn't that miraculous when you think about it you know you're out there on a cold winter's evening and you're shivering and you're feeling miserable but actually in that shivering movement the Lord has designed your body to maintain its own uh, warmth so if you've ever had a disease that you have been healed from. Even if it was a matter of surgery and after the surgeon had finished his work, your body was healed. Understand that that is the mercies of God. That God has been gracious and merciful unto you and is worthy of our thanks and of our praise. Verse 5 reminds us of the daily provision of food that we receive. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. You know, it's a, a great shame that the great bulk of people in our society uh, eat their meals day by day without thought of thanksgiving to God. No sense of where that food has come from. No, no sense of his grace or mercy upon their lives. Now, you know, we ought, to, we ought to thank God for our food. Some of the time, at least if, you know, maybe not every single morsel you put in your mouth, but some of the time we ought to stop and think, Lord, I want to thank you for this meal. I want to thank you for this food that you've provided for me. Lord, I'm grateful that I have something to eat today. Today, You know, just a century or so ago, people in our nation were eating a very sparse diet compared to our diet today when you think about it. You know, they were eating things that, that we, you know, that, that, that we take for granted now that, that would have been very rare for them to enjoy. I'm sure, like me, you remember at Christmases and, and uh, in our house at Christmas time, uh, you always got a, a stocking, uh, and at the bottom of the stocking, what was there? An orange. An orange at the bottom of your stocking. You know, I, I would love to see a modern child's face if you put an orange at the bottom of a stocking. You say, well, what in the world is that about? It's because there was a time when oranges were scarce. And to reserve an orange for Christmas was a special treat for a child. And so it was an indication of your parents' love and generosity that an orange was placed in among your Christmas gifts. And it's only in recent times that we have enjoyed such affluence and such luxury that we can have so much food and such variety of food in our diet. In fact, we throw so much of it away. You know, just this year in the UK, we will throw away something like 6.7 million tons of food. Isn't that shocking? You think about the, a third of the world is starving, 
and our nation is going to just simply throw away 6.7 million tons of food at a cost of 10.2 billion pounds. And we're all guilty of that, aren't we? I've, you know, I've, I've put too much in my plate, so I'm scraping this off. Oh, I don't like this, so I'm scraping this off. Oh, but we're reminded here that that food that we are so blasé about is actually the gift of God. That it comes as the mercy of God to us for energy. And, of course, the Lord Jesus reminded us in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 that that his mercy, God's mercy, extends to all men. He said, but I say unto you, uh, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth his rain on the just and on the unjust. Jeremiah the prophet said in Jeremiah 3, it is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed, because his mercies fail not. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You think about it every day. You and I wake up and throw our first conscience, conscious breath and in good health. We ought to thank God for the mercy of a new day. We ought to be grateful for good health. You know, when you sit down at your breakfast table and you're eating whatever cereal you may be setting before you, whatever you have for breakfast, we ought to thank God that we're getting up to a full stomach, that we have something to eat that day. When we rise from that table and leave for work, then we should thank God that we have a job to go to. Deuteronomy 8 and 18 says, Thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. You should remember where your pay comes from. It doesn't come from your employer. It doesn't come from the business that you're part of. It comes ultimately from the Lord. The Lord is the one who who is merciful in enabling us to work and to uh, gain an income. And uh, when you leave for your place of work and arrive there safely, well, guess what? That too is a mercy of God, isn't it? Especially when you see the way some people drive. That's a mercy of God. That you get to work and you get home safely. And, and when you come home and to come back to your family, it's a mercy of God that you have a home to come back to and a family to rejoin. We are such a blessed people. And it's in these ways and in many other ways besides that God is known by his actions, by his acts. And every one of us, if we were honest, would have to say, I can see God's mercy in these areas in my life. Irrespective of what else you may believe, you would have to acknowledge that God has been merciful to us each and every day of our lives. But unfortunately, that's as far as many people go with the mercies of God. Notice, however, Moses takes it a step further. Because he knows God by his ways. He knows God's mercy by his ways. Notice verse 7. He made known his ways unto Moses. Now Moses knew things about God and of God that other men around him seemingly had little grasp of. In Exodus chapter 33, if you want to turn there for a moment, there's a very interesting conversation that takes place between the Lord and Moses in Exodus chapter 33 and verses 11 and 12. It says, The Lord spake unto Moses 
face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again unto the camp, but the servant Joshua, the son of Nun, the young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now here's the way Moses thought about this. He thought, well, Lord, you know all about me. You know me by name. You know, it's interesting if someone knows you by name, then you're inclined to want to know how that person knows you and to know more about the person who knows you, aren't you? And certainly that's how Moses felt with respect uh, to the Lord. You see, he wanted to get to know the Lord better. And so he asked for an expression of God's grace, that somehow that God would reveal his grace unto him and make himself known to him in a very personal way. He prays, Lord, show me thy way in verse 13. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. What did Moses mean? Show me thy way. Well, you remember John chapter 14, very familiar passage to you. Is that time when the Lord Jesus gathers with his disciples in the upper room on the night of his arrest, and how he is preparing them for the events that are about to unfold? How he's going to head off to Gethsemane and there be accosted by the temple police, being sold to the cross by Judas Iscariot. He's preparing his disciples for this moment. And he says to them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. But then Thomas, the doubter, you've got to always admire Thomas. Thomas hears that, if we may call it a pep talk, if you like. It's more than a pep talk, of course. But if, if he, as he hears the Lord Jesus trying to encourage his disciples along the way, and Thomas, ever doubting, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? And of course, it's at that moment that the Lord Jesus then utters those famous words that you've heard many times from this pulpit, where he says, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Well, put that little thought in your mental uh, storeroom for a moment, and hold on to that thought where the Lord Jesus says, I am the way. And, and then let's go back to Moses in the Old Testament. He's asking God here in verse 13, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. You see, up to now all the knowledge has been loaded in God's favor. He knew all about Moses. He knew everything there was to know about Moses. But Moses knew so relatively little about God on a personal level. Yesterday, Hazel read a meme to me that made me smile, and it went something like this, that when God called you into the ministry, he'd already factored in your stupidity. <laughs> something like that. And I thought, that's true. The Lord knows all about us, doesn't he? 
He knows about our stupidity and our foolishness and our weaknesses. And yet, you know, like Moses, we may feel, well, I don't really know him. I know that he knows me and he knows me by name. He knows everything about me. He knows me intimately, but do I really know him? And so Moses makes this request, show me thy way. And God responds to Moses' prayer, notice in verse 14 there, with my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. Now was Moses happy with that answer? Was he satisfied with that? Not a, not a bit of it. He was frustrated by that answer. You know, at, at this point, God makes provision for him to see something of his glory by placing Moses into the cleft of a rock and passing over him. But the story doesn't even end there. Look in chapter 34 and verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first. Remember, he broke the first. And I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning, and went up unto Mount Sinai. And as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand the two tables of stone, and the Lord descended in the cloud, and notice stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worship. Now we're beginning to understand something of what David meant some 500 years later when he wrote, he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. David was in the beginning of this verse speaking of that time when Moses was placed into the cleft of a rock and covered uh, with the, the, the Lord's hand and the Lord allowed him to see his mercy as he passed by proclaiming the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Now, if it wasn't for the New Testament, you and I might still be in the dark here. Remember, Moses said, show me now thy what? Way. Show me your way. And Thomas said, Lord, how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way. You see, the one who descends from glory onto the pinnacle of Sinai, who comes down and stands beside Moses, who covers him over and passes by making this wonderful declaration, is none other than a pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. That's who's in, who's in the frame there. Now you might say, well, that's very far-fetched. Isn't that something of a stretch, Pastor? Well, what did the Lord say? For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote of me. He said, he told you all about me. 
Notice in Psalm 103 and verse 7 that God speaks, that David speaks of God making known his ways, plural, unto Moses. Whereas Moses in Exodus chapter 33 asked to see thy way, singular. Here's the deal. You cannot know the ways of God until you know the way of God. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? You cannot know God's ways unless you know God's Son, the Lord Jesus, who is the way. And that's the issue with the question that people are often heard to ask. Well, how can a good God allow so many bad things to happen on the earth? You see, they're struggling with his ways, but they don't understand that in order to grasp something of his ways, you have to come into a meaningful relationship with the way. You have to know the way. And the way of God is Christ. The ways of God are the ways of Christ. And how did the Lord Jesus Christ reveal his ways there in Exodus 34? The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Now you go back to Psalm 103 and that proclamation of Christ within the proclamation of Psalm 103. And you'll notice that that part concerning the visitation upon the children and upon the children's children is gone. Why? Because David is writing, you know, half a millennia after that Moses first heard those words. And we find that the mercies of God are such, according to this psalm in verse 9, that he will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. You see, his wrath, his anger is always but for a moment, but his mercy is everlasting. Isn't that wonderful? Boy, we'd be in trouble if it was the other way around, wouldn't we? If his mercy was just for a moment and his wrath was everlasting, what a pickle we would be in. But that's not the way the Lord operates. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 54. Of course, we completed our studies in Isaiah on Wednesday past. Unfortunately, we didn't record that last chapter because of my mistake and not pressing the recorder. But uh, if you missed it, I apologize. But remember this, and of course the Lord is dealing here with Judah and with the sins of Judah. And he says this in verse 7 of chapter 54, For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord, thy Redeemer. You know, I wish that some people, even some Christian people, would get a hold on this truth. Because some people perceive of God or serve a God in their minds who is a very fierce God. Now, there's no question he's a holy God. 
But to see him in terms of his ferocity, well, I think you really have to understand that because of his redemptive mercies, you and I will, uh, will, re- will receive of his grace and of his goodness and of his benefits in ways that we don't even deserve. We don't deserve it. You know, he doesn't give us everything we do deserve for a start. If you look in verse 10 of our psalm, he had not dealt with us after our sins, nor he wanted us according to our iniquities. You know, and you look at that verse, what a wonderful truth that is. You know, I'm so glad that the Lord hasn't dealt with me after my sins. He hasn't rewarded me according to my iniquities. I'm forgiven. You're forgiven. You're free, absolutely pardoned, completely justified, absolutely right with God because of Jesus Christ. You know, here's here's as good a definition of forgiveness as you're ever going to find in verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And you've heard me say, and other preachers have said the same thing, that the reason the Lord used the east and the west is because those two points never meet. They're eternal. And it's saying here that God has put your sins an eternity away. That they can never be recaptured. That they'll never be drawn upon again. That they'll never be thought of again. You see, some of us fear that we stand before God as Christians. That he's going to call up our sins again. Even the sins that we've committed as Christians. Friends, as a born again believer, you will never meet your sins again. You'll never meet them. The Lord will never bring them up. Not even before his judgment seat. His judgment seat is about reward, not recompense. And our sins were judged by the Lord Jesus, who is, according to his own confession, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. What a saviour we have. You know, here we find that this means that God looks at us, his children, through eyes of pity and compassion and love. Look at verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Have you ever felt sorry for your children? I'm sure you've felt sorry for your children, especially when they're little ones. You know, sometimes even when they've done wrong, you feel sorry for them. You know, I remember years and years and years ago, I can tell this story on Claire, and you can remind her of this when she comes. But uh, she was a very small little girl, and we used to have a supermarket lived, uh, that was right across the street from our home in Dublin. And uh, Hazel went over with her one day, and uh, she did what I guess kids would do. She picked up an apple, and she took a bite out of the apple. Well, of course, if you take a bite out of an apple in a supermarket, you've purchased it, haven't you? And so Hazel was aggravated with her because she had taken this bite out of the apple and uh, she had threatened her with certain death when she came back to face my wrath. And so Hazel brought this little three-year-old, four-year-old girl, whatever age she was, 
into the house who was, you know, in bits, uh, crying her eyes out, you know. And, and I have to admit, now, normally I was the bad guy in the family, you know, that bad cop, good cop role. She was always the good cop, I was the bad cop. But uh, on this occasion, you know, this, uh, this threat, now you're going to go home and see your father, uh, didn't quite work out because the wee girl was so upset when she came back at the prospect of seeing her dad and getting, getting a spanking for, uh, for theft at the age of three, uh, you know, I just, I didn't do it. I, you know, I told her it was wrong and that she shouldn't have done it, but she got mercy because I pitied her. I looked at her and she thought, and she just looked pitiful. And I didn't, on that occasion, discipline her. I'm sure you've done things like that with your children. There's times when you felt sorry for them. Or maybe they've been ill and you've nursed them and felt pity for them. You know, uh, again, you know, when our kids were sick, Hazel will tell you, you know, I'm a better nurse than she is. And that I will be uh, far more generous and far kinder and more patient. She's a very bad nurse, I have to tell you, folks. She's, she's got no pity whatsoever. You know, I've, I've been on death's door with man flu and she showed me not an ounce of pity. Not an ounce. But you know, when our kids were sick, I would see them there on the settee and they'd be lying there and maybe they're looking miserable and I'd bring them sweets and I'd bring them comics and I'd put something on the telly for them and I'd sit there and tell them stories. And, and you know, as a father pitieth his children. You see, that's an image of the Lord reaching out to us in our weaknesses, caring for us. You know, we've pitied them when they're sick. We've pitied them when they're sinful. We've pitied them when they're foolish. And so too God. And it means that God forgets the things that we remember and remembers the things that we forget. Look at verse 14. For he knoweth our frame... And he remembereth that we are dust. You see, he remembers our frailty, but he forgives our sins. Isn't that a wonderful truth? He remembers that we're just dust. Anytime you think you're thinking a little bit too highly of yourself, remember that you're just dust. It's all you are, it's animated dust. Back in Spurgeon's day, you know, people would, in their prayers, sometimes emphasize the truth in Scripture, and they would uh, repeat a certain phrase. And uh, one fellow one time was praying, and he said, Lord, we remember that we are dust. And then he wanted to sort of expand on that a little bit and to emphasize the point, and he said, Lord, we remember that we are dust, and that we are just dust's dust, and we are just dust's dust dust. <laughs> and that's the truth. We're just dust. We're nothing special. You know, tonight, whatever way that football match goes, there's going to be somebody who's thinking of themselves as something special. There's some player on that pitch who's going to be healed as the next best thing, as the greatest thing since Pelé or George Best or somebody else and he's going to have that puffed out chest when he lifts that uh, cup and, and has that winner's medal. But here's the thing I want you to remember. He's just dust. You see, here's the deal. God will remember the things that that footballer will forget. 
but he's willing to forget the things that we remember. Those things that bring us shame and discomfort. Those things that we reflect back on our lives and say, I wish I wasn't there. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't have thought of that person that way. Here's the deal. The Lord says, those things that you remember, I'm willing to forget and forgive and put as far as the east is from the west. Israel knew God by his acts. Moses knew God by his ways. He knew that God in his nature was merciful. The people at the foot of the mountain thought of God as fearful. But Moses had a better understanding of God under the law even than many Christians have under grace. If your perspective of God is that he is fierce, that he is mean, that he is cold, that he is calculating, that he is somehow a merciless avenger who is prepared to drop a thunderbolt in your head at the first opportunity. Listen, that's not my God. My God is Jesus. My God is Jesus. And I know his name. And I know the way. And I know his ways. And I know his ways are merciful. We serve a merciful God tonight. And I can readily recommend them to any lost person, to any sinner who may be listening in tonight, that we have a God who is merciful, who's willing to forgive, who's ready to pardon, who's reaching out in mercy, who is prepared to reconcile rebellious men unto God. And I can say in a moment, you can trust my Savior. Holy as he is, righteous and just as he is, he is good, he is trustworthy, he is true, he is merciful, he is full of compassion. Do you believe in him? Do you believe upon him? Are you trusting in his grace? Gracious is the Lord, writes Psalm, the, the psalmist in Psalm 116. Gracious is the Lord and righteous, righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. And to that we say, yea and amen. May God bless these thoughts to your hearts this evening.